This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We are a risk-averse industry, and it's often difficult to jump to particularly the more patient-facing treatment decision types of applications, just considering we don't want to harm anyone. Naturally, people do start in the administrative operational domain just to test the waters and often just focus on driving efficiencies as opposed to transforming care treatment, at least right off the bat. There is a progression here that we see amongst the early adopters to the late majority. Hello, and welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Tori Ritchie. Today, we are joined by our digital health expert, Andrew Rebin. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Having you here on the tail of the digital health landscape webinar last week, you did such a fantastic job condensing some of the key themes in the digital health landscape and want to unpack some of those ideas a bit further. First, what is the future of digital health? Where do we think we're going? Could we do just a bit of a reflection on where we are today, especially coming out of the pandemic? Sure. In terms of the digital health landscape, it's more than just chat GPT and AI, just for starters. That has been clearly dominating both my newsfeed and my day-to-day job. That encompasses a lot more than just the latest and greatest in AI. We are in a state of constant recalibration in terms of thinking about funding, thinking about the flood of digital startups that have come into the industry. We have our members that are seemingly always trying to balance the endless stream of different point solutions. They're trying to navigate the noise in the market. They're trying to make this a viable business strategy in terms of thinking about how we're always spending more on technology, but we don't necessarily always get real clear, tangible ROI from it. It's just a consistent challenge of the pace of technology is evolving so quickly. So we need to think about how to approach this in a way that is making sense for the business and not making life harder for the workforce. When I think about some of the digital health trends and how they impact the forecast, people are fast to point out the fact that digital health funding is down from its peak in 2021. But I always have your voice ringing in the back of my head of, sure, it's down from the peak, but it is still up substantially from where we were in 2019 and before. It's not necessarily an indicator that we're slowing down in the digital health space. This has been a consistent touchpoint of what I think of as just conflicting viewpoints or points of benchmarking in the industries. If we're talking about virtual visit adoption or telehealth use, we can compare the surge in March of 2020 to where we are today. In the venture funding space, it's a similar pattern. At least in the U.S., digital health venture funding spiked tremendously going into the later half of 2020 into 2021. If that's the benchmark, then you're going to see everything that occurs in the last year and a half to two years as an utter failure of a market or a bubble that's burst when really we're looking at a highly contextualized moment in time when all of the stars aligned for digital innovation to really take off. We saw all of these regulatory flexibilities come into place. We saw fairly easy money flooding into a world that was suddenly embracing remote care delivery, and it just set up this structure of a market where things were booming. 
since that time, we have started to see the consistent pattern of returning to some type of new normal. If the framework is always to say, well, we should compare everything to the height of 2020 or 2021, we're always going to set ourselves up for disillusionment and for feeling that we've failed at this experiment. When I think that's just the absolute wrong mindset here. Understanding too, that we are setting ourselves up for a long-term digital transformation effort here. So we shouldn't get hung up on any one moment in time. It's something that we often have to balance. What do we think the ramp up of virtual adoption or digital adoption is going to be? And at SG2, most of our conversations center around payment and policy will catch up. The ability for these modalities to be more accessible to users and more user-friendly, it's going to catch up, but it's going to take time. We have to make sure that we're carving out reasonable expectations for that on-ramp. On the virtual care front, reimbursement, the policy changes, these are some of the major factors driving change here. The unfortunate point about it is that it often moves so slowly. And we're not only dealing with federal changes that impact everyone, like say through the Medicare program, but the fact that we've got 50 different states doing 50 different things. We've got to account for all the different modalities of virtual care. And so everyone's kind of progressing at different rates. As long as we have a temporary coverage or temporary flexibilities, that's well and good for most stakeholders just to ensure that they're continuing to test their limits on what they can do with digital technologies. It also kicks the can down the road in terms of setting up temporary flexibilities that inevitably we're going to have to come to address and we're going to have the same existential crisis of determining what do we cover permanently? What do we pay for? What do we want to continue to expand in terms of access to virtual care modalities moving forward? It's a bit of a frustrating place to be in where we're always in a state of limbo on the future of certain aspects of digital, like with telehealth. Do we feel like a post-pandemic period of reckoning is going to happen? It's on the verge. In some respects, we've already had a little bit of a post-pandemic state of disillusionment earlier. I've seen the perspectives online and in articles, the thought leaders that have turned sour towards a lot of use cases around telehealth. We need to be quite rigorous in terms of where we apply these capabilities, understanding that something like telehealth outside of the context of the pandemic, we should understand that it's not a panacea and that it's not appropriate for every use case. But when we think about the ongoing, not just expansion of technology, but the openness and receptivity that we have either within the workforce or on the patient side, we're starting to see that the more we use it, the more we get used to it, the more we consider it an embedded feature of healthcare. To look at the future of care and assume that it's going to increasingly be more of a hybrid care delivery model, I don't think that's outrageous. And it's something that we should be able to sustain. We see this throughout the impact of change forecasts. Over the course of a decade, we would expect that telehealth just becomes another facet of the business of healthcare. And that involves a lot of other technologies under the digital health banner, including things like AI. A couple of years back when we started talking quite a bit about digital health, that really was confined explicitly to virtual visits. The reality is, is that umbrella is much broader. It's much bigger. It's no longer just a access story, which is what I think we were so focused on at the beginning. How can virtual visits be deployed to improve access? That's certainly part of it. But are there also some ways that digital health solutions are being deployed to help improve supply, help offset the workforce challenges that we're feeling? There is definitely ways that we can think about how digital is addressing some of these deeply rooted challenges in healthcare that we keep hearing about year in and year out, but we seemingly don't have a solution for. 
there's different ways that we could tackle this. In the one hand, there's the rise of virtual nursing programs. It is a particular bright spot in telehealth that I feel like has been fairly quiet in the last year, waiting for these reimbursement changes to take effect. But when we think about what a virtual nursing program is looking to do, we're talking about centralizing a group of staff, a group of nurses or other clinicians, and we're able to leverage technology to increase the scalability of the work that they can do by supporting staff at the bedside. This could be anything from a simpler telesitting presence to assisting with documentation, helping with admission, discharge, responding to call bells, helping in other administrative functions to alleviate the workload for staff. This is where tech expands the one-to-one ratio of a clinician to a patient to a one-to-fifteen ratio, where we start to address the challenge that we just don't have enough people to meet these needs, and we aren't going to hire our way out of this. Whether it's on the virtual side of that centralization hub of driving things and operating as a command center to thinking about AI and automation where we pick our spots of those operational challenges that we can use AI to alleviate a lot of the mundane, repetitive, error-prone activity that we've historically just relied on people to do. It's work that is inefficient and we need to think of new ways and new solutions to address these challenges. On the topic of AI, let's dive into that area of the digital health macro topic a bit more. It's more than just ChatGPT. ChatGPT hit the mainstream. At this point, it's been a year since it came out. So think about everything that ChatGPT has managed to do in the span of one year. In fact, think of the way that it improved in terms of its performance in just a matter of months. It was amazing in terms of what it did, and it captured so many people's attention, and I think for good reason. One of the things that we should give ChatGPT credit for is that it really did help to democratize access to AI and to help build a sense of literacy amongst users to get a sense of what is this technology capable of today and understanding how easily people can leverage it without needing to have a background in data science or being a software developer. There's a lot of open source, off-the-shelf capabilities now that people are leveraging. Granted, there's also people that think that's like the end of the world. There's a lot of societal risks that come with that, and that's totally fair. While generative AI, which encompasses ChatGPT, is one of the newer subfields within deep learning, it is by no means the only use cases for AI. We've had AI in the lab, but also in deployment for decades. And there's a lot of traditional means of using AI for classification or prediction or operational administrative use case that we were already seeing tangible results from. They're already being used. And generative AI is just the next evolution of capabilities. What do you see on the horizon for AI adoption? Is this something that we see health systems prioritizing investment in today? And if so, what specialties do we think are going to be catalyzed first? We see that it's being tested or researched across the whole map of potential applications. There are folks that have already been testing this out in marketing to HR processes, to scheduling, to dealing with staffing, capacity planning, thinking about generative AI for improving aspects of IT coding, for example. The more clinical domain where we think about AI already having a pretty strong foothold in medical imaging analysis, workless prioritization, EHR 
our search and extraction of data there to thinking about how are we using AI for clinical trial design, even synthetic data generation that can help augment data sets that may be underrepresenting certain populations. The use cases are so wide and varied. It seems to apply to not only a wide range of clinical areas, but also non-clinical. As we think about where some of the roadblocks are in terms of systems being able to operate efficiently, particularly with the hiring challenge that we have, there are not enough people in the workforce at this point to allow us to maintain operations the way that we have in years and decades past. So we're going to have to get creative. AI is certainly one of the tools that folks should be thinking about. We are a risk-averse industry, and it's often difficult to jump to particularly the more patient-facing treatment decision types of applications, just considering we don't want to harm anyone. And so naturally, people do start in the administrative operational domain just to test the waters and often just focus on driving efficiencies as opposed to transforming care treatment, at least right off the bat. There is a progression here that we see amongst the early adopters to the late majority. It's going to become an increased embedded feature of healthcare. I don't see a future without AI in it in some manner. Even if you're a health system and you don't have a staff of data scientists in-house or you don't have the capabilities to build these advanced models yourself, for many, they're relying on their core IT vendors that they already have within their systems to build out some of these functionalities. If that means you're basically an Epic shop and you're going to roll with whatever Epic produces in terms of their embedded AI function, then so be it. That's a starting place. Epic's current partnerships with groups like Microsoft, for example, that's allowing them to tap into a chat GPT instance that they can start to pilot today and they could experiment with. And it's not necessarily going to be a process of needing to scour the external marketplace and be inundated with all these solutions if they can optimize what they already have in terms of those core systems. Are there any recommendations that you have to health systems who are trying to think through where they start in this space? How do they start sifting through all of the different options? How do they think through if the IT infrastructure or their operational infrastructure is set up to start implementing some of these AI solutions? Start with the strategic foundation. This is where we put the technology on the shelf, at least initially, to think about matters of strategic alignment and governance. This is all around defining the problem, seeing if the technology, is that the right solution for this problem? Thinking about the stakeholders who are at the table, defining budgets, timelines, accountability, thinking about the aspects of culture as far as an innovative, agile environment to really sustain some of these fast-moving technologies. Do you have the right executive sponsors, clinical champions who are driving adoption here? And then the workforce side of things, it's all about what are the competencies? Do we have the capabilities of building this? Do we need to partner with a vendor or external partner, and that introduces a whole new subset of questions as well. It's really about getting all of those things in order first. In terms of the technology, you also want to be mindful of whether these products are actually validated in any sense that you can confirm. So there's a process there of anticipating potential risks and thinking about how vendors can share in that risk and how you ultimately can scale these products. We think about whether it's building trust in the technology, thinking about change management principles that you could implement here, constant upskilling and education amongst the staff just to help them ensure that they're using these technologies the right way and that they're deriving some clinical utility out of it. Keeping at it in an ongoing basis basis. This is a marathon. This is not something that you set it and forget it or a solution that just always comes out of the box. I think it's just an iterative approach to always ensuring that these products are working as intended and that you're getting value from them. Yeah, makes sense. 
There's one other area that I want to dive into. In the webinar, you spoke about some of the inequities that systems need to be aware of as we do start rolling out expanded digital health and AI capabilities. Could you give just a brief overview of what organizations should be thinking about there? Health equity comes up repeatedly in conversations because it should. It's a cross-cutting measure. It impacts just about everything, even in the digital health world. We've noted before how in terms of virtual care or telehealth, we have lots of challenges to the technical barriers, financial barriers, educational barriers. With AI, there's algorithmic biases that can find their way into data pools, and then suddenly you're scaling these biases on a wide scale. Or even in the venture funding space, there's really not as much funding going towards organizations that are led by minorities or women, for example. It's just one of those topics that we find highly relevant, but we also understand that they often feel a little bit out of scope for your typical practice or clinician. That's not to say that we shouldn't still keep health equity top of mind and specifically some of the digital inequities that we could be addressing today. There are steps that are being done by a lot of organizations that we've seen, whether that's continuing to expand different access points for telehealth modalities, community and industry partnerships targeted outreach and education that we could be continuing to issue to different stakeholders, whether that's vendors that we work with or governments or even outlets like the media that could help with this. Then supporting efforts around if you're building out an RPM program, maybe you're leveraging loaner devices or digital navigators to help with tech support and tech access, helping them to ensure that they know how to actually use these devices and make sense of the data. How are we screening for social determinants of health data and then leveraging visual visualization and analytics that drive decision-making and so forth. We rely on the government as well. When we think about some of the massive funding that comes out of something like the recent Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, right? So this is billions of dollars that's going to all 50 states in D.C. for boosting broadband access, funding digital literacy programs, helping low-income families to afford their internet bill by giving them a monthly stipend. These are the types of efforts that need to occur at the level of a government government to really move the needle. Some of those other steps that we covered are action items that plenty of stakeholders can be mindful of in terms of what are they doing today or who are they partnering with to try to make a little bit of progress in terms of addressing these digital inequities. Absolutely. I've even had a couple of conversations with folks who are launching care at home programs and they recognize that everybody doesn't have consistent access to broadband internet or to a tablet. Health systems have broadband enabled tablets that they're sending folks home with so that the onus isn't on the patient to absorb that cost. All kinds of solutions there. Andrew, as always, just incredibly insightful conversation. If folks want more information on digital health and AI, any thoughts on where they can go? On the topic of AI, we just started to publish a new slate of research. We actually broke it out into four different modules. We have three of them that are live on the website. We have the fourth one coming out this week. What we did was address certain myths regarding AI challenges. So the first briefing is all about myth busting of some of these commonly reoccurring pain points that we think we could actually address today. We also released a module around AI vendor evaluation checklist. We released a module around a digital ROI framework that we have created, and we adapted that to AI solutions. So just kind of helping stakeholders think through some of the value that they're getting from these deployments. The fourth and final module is going to be an AI case study compendium, giving you a flavor of different health systems and how they're leveraging these solutions today. 
Incredible. I look forward to checking out the uh, case study compendium that's coming out soon. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining today. And, and I look forward to having you back on the podcast soon. I look forward to it too. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.